American. Made up. Short stories. Chekhov lives. If he was a big-headed, funny heap that didn't bore you to death through sheer osmosis. Holla! Neil Simon lives too. Thank you very much! <laughs> the Maiden. Bartender. You met one Iron Maiden fan. You met them all. Right? Iron Maiden fans. Wear out those mummy metal patches on their faded, torn jean jackets. Even into their late 30s. To inject a dark, mysterious, complex, weighty edge. Such die-hard fanatic fans are incapable of generating on their own. Granted, Bruce Dickinson, the more exalted replacement lead singer-star of Iron Maiden, otherwise known as the Human Air Raid Siren, boasts a supernatural voice which pierces through the clouds of Heavy metal heaven. Chris Cherico lives. Holla! Thank you very much! Still, it's impossible to not grow tired of Bruce Dickinson's rapid fire, spinal tap conjuring impersonation of what an English heavy metal howler should sound like in Samuel Johnson's Speed Metal Phonics Dictionary under Game of Thrones horse-charging music. At least that's what the cruise comedian Michael Rocker thought as he entered a colonial-constructed seaside shipbuilding town of Mystic, Connecticut, where Julia Roberts shot the movie Mystic Pizza and entertained the grips on the set by fisting her mouth in between takes to ensure they made her look the most flattering in the face of such frigid East Coast winter lights. Now, Michael Rocker, a tall, semi-athletic looking, preppy casual comedian, orders a drink and says, hey, what local IPAs do you recommend? The bartender, a tall, striking, borderline, statuesque, dirty blonde, sporting an Iron Maiden tattoo on her defined, yet not overtly chiseled deltoid replies. I don't know. That all depends on how much hardcore bitter bite you can take. I mean, are you interested in merely quenching your thirst with a session filler beer? Or would you prefer to get your hardcore freak on for karaoke night with something boozier and more funk-tastic, like a fat orange cat's Chapal IPA stud? The Cruise comic says, I'll take the Chapal IPA hot stuff, as he tries hard not to lick his lips, wanting to inhale her hole on the spot. Sitting next to the cruise comic at the bar is a hunched, tired, lanky, dirty blonde, long-haired guy in his late 30s, sporting bad acne 
spots from a poor diet full of too much beef jerky and cheap vodka tonics, reeking of stale Newport cigarettes, stripping the minty cool flavor of any high schooler hoodie appeal after the first drag whatsoever. The cruise comic gets the impression the Newport cigarette guy who's sporting a black Iron Maiden shirt under his faded, torn jean jacket is here solo as usual. So he decides to sample some new jokes on him in preparation for his upcoming cruise tour heading to Jamaica for spring break the following morning. Cruise comic makes eye contact with the Iron Maiden fan and says, Nice Maiden shirt, dude. You must know the wrestler and Fozzie frontman Chris Jericho then. Maiden dude replies, Duh, who doesn't? Immediately, the cruise comic becomes engulfed with extreme annoyance, regretting his attempt to bond with this local in his attempt to play cool with the hot badass bartender and snaps back with, Be honest, don't you think Iron Maiden is a poor man's Judas Priest with far less sing-along radio-friendly hits being forced to rely on catchy merchandising gimmickry? To radiate a cooler, far less Dungeons and Dragons nerdy veneer instead? And who is the Eddie mascot on Iron Maiden shirts supposed to be anyway? He looks like a cyborg mummy and a virile crypt keeper in his prime had a baby. One for the Hills is a good running song for Daniel Day-Lewis to crank up when he trained for his role in The Last of the Mohicans. The bartender can't help but chuckle, doing her best to not let Cruz comedian know it. Still, she decides to interject, knowing fighting words were just thrown down in this normally peaceful waterfront town and says, Hey, Eddie, don't listen to him. He's not sophisticated enough. To understand the intricacies and sweeping, historical, majestic sweep that went into Power Slave and the other 40 records of English speed metal mastery at its finest. Next, vodka and tonic is on me, babe. Don't sweat it. Cruise Comedian is turned on by the bartender's Friendly, infused, fiery cheer, especially knowing this was her way of pleasing a local and flirting with him big time and says, she's right, Eddie. That's your name, Eddie? Just like the Iron Maiden mascot? Wow. I don't know what I'm talking about. I'm just putting Iron Maiden down to feel better about myself. That's what hack cruise comedians do for a living. (laughs) I think poison. Motley Crue and Cinderella rock out just as hard and boast infinitely catchier kick-ass metal pop anthems which ooze forceful, heartfelt personality versus sounding like systematic howling knights on horseback. But what do I know, Eddie? And I would add White Lion to that list too. (laughs) Didn't mean to offend your hardcore fanatical Maiden sensibilities, but Eddie's face becomes ensnarled in acne scar shades of red as he clenches 
is callous hardened, burn laden hands, and says, Dude, I'm a dishwasher on a cruise ship. I don't need to take this shit. The cruise comedian says, I'm a lowly cruise comedian, hack comedian, who talks to his dad twice a year, whose dad's shoulders collapse whenever we hug for all time's sake. So it's a wash, mate. <laughs> Looking forward to docking in Jamaica, though. This is my impression of Ziggy Marley being interviewed by High Times Magazine for their annual 420 issue. Ziggy, your dad had eight kids, but I thought ganja drained your life blaster and accompanying nutsack drive. <laughs> Ziggy Marley says, fake news, man. <laughs> Cruise comic finally scores a tension-diffusing laugh. Eddie says, that was a good one. Perhaps I take my obsession with Iron Maiden a tad too seriously at times. Thing is, you get pretty cagey as a cruise ship dishwasher, all alone, with Iron Maiden tunes of wanton destruction stuck in your head. Cruise Comics says, no problem, dude. I was being a big dick prior. Sometimes my riffing veers into full-fledged asshole land faster than I care to admit. <laughs> Do you smoke your mind with the Crystal Specked Bud? Eddie the Dishwasher says. Yeah, I mean, what loner burnout maidenhead in high school didn't? You never outgrow. The soothing lift. The green gives a loner burnout at heart. Cruise Comics says. Did you know 420 was Hitler's birthday? After making that discovery, I hadn't felt that betrayed since I learned how Sly Stallone managed to sneak Mel Gibson into Expendables 3. <laughs> Eddie the Dishwasher says, Oh, so you're Jewish. That's why you're so annoying and pushy with your material to begin with. Well, nobody's perfect, except Beth the Bartender. Beth the Bartender commands the stage and clenches the mic to belt out Run for the Hills on the karaoke stage with incredible hardcore edge feeling to make a jaded English metal resisting cruise comic willing to give British speed metal another shot. All that was missing was a hardcore female touch and some added fantastic feeling with some sexy metal sass to match. The Yoga Scout. The Yoga Scout enters a wine shop and locate his prey, a handsome white dude, most likely in his mid-thirties, trying to figure out what wine to get. Yoga Scout goes in for the kill and says, buy wine for your wife again? Because you have a hard time expressing how much you'd prefer she do core exercises with her Peloton app instead? <laughs> Mary White Guy says, how did you know? Wine shop owner approaches. Anything in particular you're looking for? Yoga Scout's eyes remain locked and in his pride and says, ignore the wine merchant of death. <laughs> she doesn't care about making your sex life above average again. I do. Wine shop owner says, how dare you? Yoga scout continues to focus his eyes only on his prey and fires back with, we're in the middle of a conversation. I'm in the process of offering a new lease on life. All you offer is boring talking points from Tucker Carlson. So with all due respect, 
I'd like to help save what remains of this man's flagging sense of independence. Pretend you care about another customer's interior life while we wrap up our bonding session over here. I'm not your sigh-heavy husband who has to act content with your indifference to high-stepping out of those banks for more box drums in the yard after you're done pushing more artificial love juice into sour puss relationships, which reached their expiration date eons ago, lady. <laughs> the wine shop lady rolls her eyes and returns behind the cash register as a new customer enters, who's a pretty face gal, most likely in her early 40s, who shoots a warm, semi-flirty smile at the yoga scout as she enters inside, which he feels from behind the back of his head because his third eye is open to eye sensations from every direction imaginable. The yoga scout resumes his pitch. Look, I know you're buying wine for your wife because you strike me as more of an IPA guy for starters, despite your complete lack of facial hair to begin with, <laughs> secondhand clothes on your person, or any visible tats straining for hardcore, any cred, respectability. <laughs> more importantly, I've been in your shoes before. Married, constrained, worry-laden, because you share more in common with your nine-year-old daughter than you do with your own wife, who's done nothing in her power to ensure that you kiss her on the lips more than you do your own guitar. <laughs> the same wife who's done everything in her power to depreciate your relationships with your family and old friends because she's always struggled with accepting how much joy others are capable of giving you without her presence, especially during your 10-year wedding anniversary when you got four separate applause breaks at the uh, local bar in Croton Falls, otherwise known as Portofino. Holla! Thank you very much! <laughs> Middle age. White dude says, Are they doing a remake of Candy Camera tonight? How do you know so much about me already? Or am I really that much of an open book on depression? <laughs> also, do you realize that pretty face gal who just came inside was giving you the yummy, I want to suck every last drop out of your aura eyes the moment she came in the store? <laughs> the yoga scout says, Of course I did. My third eye feels all Lusty awe. <laughs> More importantly, do you long for greater flexibility in your life? Do you fantasize about doing what you want to do to satisfy your only shot at fulfillment on this earth, <laughs> which more often than not doesn't include your wife these days, <laughs> especially since she threatened to divorce you for giving your three kids the common cold through COVID? <laughs> Middle-aged dude says, is Coors Light the pounding beer of choice in Daytona Beach on spring break? Because it's lightweight and easy to inhale in rapid succession, like miniature Yenta Breath sorority girls from the University of Buffalo. Personally, I wish they'd make a toothpaste that tastes like Coors Light so I don't taste anything afterwards. The Yoga Scout exudes a booming laugh, which shakes the pricier magnums of first-growth Bordeaux on the wall. A little bit. Middle-aged guy says, that's the loudest laugh I've ever heard in my entire life. It was equal to a room full of black guys in the audience on Def Comedy Jam after Bernie Mac came out and said, I ain't scared of you motherfuckers. Holla! Bernie Mac lives. Thank you very much. <laughs> Which set off a bomb 
of cataclysmic motion, of high-flying legs, and flailing arms in every conceivable direction, which scream, Touchdown! Holla! Marcus Allen lives. Thank you very much! The Yoga Scout says, My throat chakra is clear as Times Square on New Year's Day, so I have no problem projecting with mountainous echo feeling. A middle-aged dude says, Are you a yoga instructor? I learned about chakras when I used to live in L.A. My psychic there told me I should have been a big-time comedian already, but I had to pay two grand to clear my chakras first because, according to my psychic, they were more clogged than my freshman one-hitter. Although, one unplanned kid later, and with me still working as a journeyman IT agency headhunter, it's more of a trickler than a consummate rainmaker. Not too much has changed since. Wearing sandals in the dead of winter in addition to your spread eagles tank top should have told me you're in the yoga business to begin with. It looks like my third eye needs much greater opening expansion than I thought after all. <laughs> the Yoga Scout says, I do teach yoga. Hot, naked yoga after dark to be exact. But I'm also a single dad who's tired of living in his head. But that desire alone wasn't enough for me to stretch myself outside of my comfort zone for a change. I took my seven-year-old daughter at the time to buy me some yoga classes from her lavender cupcake bake-off sale at school, which made me realize how much any pretty feet in my life for nirvana on earth tell me heal my jaded heart for denying myself that scrumptious and handleable pleasure for so long. There's no bunions in my yoga class. Spread eagles. Middle-aged dude says, how can you provide a no-bunion guarantee? Does your third eye possess x-ray vision too? The yoga scout says, you know how normally you could tell if a woman tastes good or not? Well, the more hot, naked yoga you do after dark in a candlelit room with In a Silent Way by Miles Davis on, the more in touch you become with your powers of intuition. Plus, anyone who enrolls in a hot, naked yoga class is most likely bunion-free. Plus, I offer a full-month membership refund if they do. <laughs> My Spread Eagles hot, naked yoga classes after dark it's full of many single men moaning too. I wanted to create a safe space mixer for divorcees to meet without having to go through all the drawn out time suck charade of having to wine and dine each other first. Because when you're a single dad or mom, was the time for that shit anyway? Also, if you sign up for my class, it means you have no problem with your fellow classmates objectifying your body. Knowing how much my Spread Eagle lineup scented lubes and yoga mats with my signature Spread Eagle logo of spread legs with picture-perfect toes fly off the shelves too. <laughs> More importantly, my class helps heal the trauma of repressed rage and latent sexual tension, which has been held imprisoned by shame and guilt for way too long. Our motto at Spread Eagles is moaning is good. Sighing is bad. Because when you moan for pleasure, it means whatever you're doing is making your body come alive. Because it hurts so good. John Cougar Mellencamp lives. Holla! Thank you very much! Middle-aged guy says, Do you have a yoga studio nearby? Croton Falls, New York isn't a bastion of after-hours hot 
Naked Yoga Studios. Last time I checked on Yelp, the pretty face 40-something gal approaches the yoga scout and says, excuse me, I couldn't help but overhear you two, but do you teach yoga at Spread Eagles in the city? My best friend met her latest and greatest boy toy there at your Tribeca location, I think. Middle-aged guy says, wait a minute, I thought only d 4 were invited to attend. The yoga scout says, there's more fucked up feet out there than you think. So, in the true spirit of compassion and love for variety, spread eagles does everything in its power to spread the love. Holla! Woody Harrelson lives. Thank you very much. The stand-up leech doctor. Once upon a time, there was a cardiologist from New Orleans who moved to Manhattan to become a stand-up leech doctor named Aoli Kornbluth. Every day in his new Upper East Side office across the street from the famed Comic Strip Live on 2nd Avenue, he'd offer his bad blood removal service free of charge. Growing up in New Orleans, his cardiologist father, Michael, decided to name his kid Aeoli because no son, planned or not, could compare to his dearly departed firstborn, Zevon Kornbluth, who died in Vietnam from a falling tree. Aeoli Kornbluth's father always said, laughter was the best medicine for a heavy heart. So he named his unplanned son Aeoli, which lightened his cinder block clogged heart every time he ordered his son to do his errands as a kid, such as make your bed, Aeoli, take out the trash, Aeoli, your Snoop Dogg records too. I don't care that he samples funk beats and big horns from Curtis Mayfield records. According to Wine Advocate, his new wine tastes like mouthwash used in porn hood hell. As a kid, Aeoli Kornbluth was forced to feel like the unwanted, aborted one, prompting him to use his allowance for a whole year to buy a Henry Kissinger voodoo doll from a voodoo doctor in the French Quarter to seek revenge on the merchant of death responsible for the rapid, incessant, blatantly unnecessary acceleration of the Vietnam War. But he didn't have enough money save for the cost of so much fabric. Still, the voodoo doctor, chief, long-winded bow, gave Aeoli Kornbluth more than a mere constellation prize in return by offering to teach the ancient black magic art of bad blood removal through leech expungement. A young 13-year-old Aeoli Kornbluth poured his heart out to Chief Long-Winded Bo, trying to look his dapper best, sporting his standard iron Catholic private school suit and tie attire from the same school where Eli and Peyton Manning attended as kids down off the bayou. He says, Chief, can I just call you Chief? I'd like to be Kurt so you have more time to ramble on. 
I can't shake the feeling that my dad will never forgive God for taking his firstborn, my big brother, away from him so soon. From a falling tree in Vietnam, no less. <laughs> You'd think I'd offer some solace. Being on the honor roll at school year after year, I even broke Eli Manning's single-season touchdown record. A dad would rather listen to Fats Domino records on a Sunday while sipping more Blanton highballs, reading more damn Michael Crichton novels, than ever taking the time to throw the pigskin around the yard with me. Also, Eli Manning is a bigger pimp than Tom Brady. He's New Orleans royalty. Plus, Eli married his college sweetheart, not some annoying Brazilian chicken head either. Giselle is also 80 in model years. Chief Long-Winded Bo says, and Oliver Stone has the goal to call me long-winded compared to my younger brother, snorts coke with vampires when he hired us as creative consultants on the set of Natural Born Killers. Moving forward, I would add some leeches to your diet. You can swallow them whole or dice them and saute them in butter, nestled within a crawfish pie if you'd like. Either way, the leeches will remove any ill will you have for your father for never making you feel like an esteemed, wanted member of your family. Aeoli Cornblue says, I love crawfish pie. I've always told my dad, crawfish is shrimp with more personality. Yeah, my dad doesn't think I'm funny enough to be a stand-up comedian either. <laughs> but now, Aeoli Cornbluth is about to turn 40 in Manhattan with no kids or wife in his life. All he's got is his fancy cardiologist office practice on the Upper East Side and dreams of becoming a stand-up leech doctor. Although tonight was the annual audition tryout for the comic strip, which he had been practicing for his entire life. His number is finally called, and Aeoli Cornbluth approaches the stage, yet fumbles, grabbing the mic out of the stand. Aeoli says, can you believe I'm a cardiologist and perform open heart surgery for a living? Crowd screams with approval. Aeoli relaxes its head and roams the stage to take in the crowd and the moment he's dreamed of turning into reality forever while almost tripping over the coiled microphone cord in the process. Aeoli stares at the mic cord on stage and says, The mic cord isn't a live snake. You'd think being raised by a bunch of Mardi Gras Indians, I wouldn't let a microphone cord rattle my game. Crowd laughs again. Laughter was the best medicine for a heavy heart, and Aeoli Kornbluth was sad no more until he died on stage soon after and was told to never, ever audition for the comic strip ever again. <laughs> the owner of the comic strip said, Stick was sticking your heart attack patients with more stents. Holla! Rodney lives. Thank you very much. The Hop Farm, footsie scare of 1859. Once upon a time, there was a family man, Hop Farmer, who gave the best foot massage in upstate New York, like his father before him, named Farmer Todd. He sang for his local church choir, sounding like Neil Young and Al Green had a baby. 
who refused to sell his hops to West Coast breweries, preferring to make IPAs from his own locally sourced hops because of upstate New Yorker farmer pride. Represent, represent, represent! Farmer Todd always told his five sons the way to unlock the genie glow in a gal <laughs> is to rub her feet like a magical genie lamp, which is the most direct passageway to her heart-filled embrace of your slow-down metabolism and all your warts inside and out. <laughs> Farmer Todd, like Ben Franklin before him, believed good people drank good beer. So he dedicated every day of his life to making the finest IPA beer because just growing hops to sell them like another one-dimensional hop peddler pusher man with nothing else to sell was boring and not a family business. He could bequeath to his five gorgeous, hardworking, ultra-chiseled sons with as much innovative pride. Every day before sunset over his hop stud farm, Farmer Todd would give his yoga instructor wife, Crystal, a foot massage, which turned her into orgasmic mush every time, opening her up to the prospect of banging out more kids to keep their hop stud farm open to tap for more nonstop foamy business. <laughs> Until one day, five days before Halloween, the wino witch of Croton Falls ran through Farmer Todd's hop fields of green with her orange and pumpkin foot rot fungus, which infected all the hop vines on his farm wiping out any chance of their sole cash crop growing again because she got banned from a yoga class when she used to be a famous winemaker in Ithaca, New York, known for making ice wines because her feet grossed out all the clientele, <laughs> which his yoga instructor wife, Crystal, enforced. The wino witch of Croton Falls never got on her feet again until now. Because of this widespread accelerated hop farm plague fungus rot foot pandemic caused by the wino witch of Croton Falls, Farmer Todd in no way to keep a roof over his family's head, which included five boys, all named after his favorite hop varieties, being Angus, Apollo, Atlas, Bravo, and Flyer. So during his morning run through the back trails of his former Hop Farm Fantasy Land. He took notice of the Wino Witch of Croton Falls, flashing her naked, gross, purple, green, and orange feet on a tree swing. She says, Farmer Todd, did you teach your five sons to give foot massages with the same orgasmic conjuring technique you use on your bitch yoga instructor wife every day before sunset? If so, you just need to tell your five stud sons to massage. My discolored pumpkin-sized bunions, one for each day of the week during the week of Halloween, and I'll bring your hop farm roaring back to life again in no time. Because of that, Farmer Todd told his five sons to make the wine of witch of Croton Falls welcome in their hands. Unless they wanted to starve to death or were willing to sell enough blood to buy an apple tree in the hope of turning that into a batch of hard cider to sell the local farmer's market, which was a tad girly sweet for their collective taste. Because of that, 
Each massage, the five sons, gave the wine a witch of Croton Falls, helped ignite her glow gene inside, which made her feet return to a beautiful, inviting form again, as a transformation from the wino witch of Croton Falls to the fairy hop queen became complete. Later, Farmer Todd foots the bill for his five sons to open their own hop brewery farms, knowing they'd be able to keep growing toward profitability as long as they keep the hop fairy queen's feet happy during the hop farm footy scare week of Halloween every year. When Oliver Sword Pass emerges through a disgusting outgrowth of fungus and warts on her feet as punishment from the tree spirits of Lake Oswego for making her canoe sink into the water during one of her drunken tirades against the local hophead Indians and how the Buffalo burgers are too bloody for her taste, in addition to being a racist against Native American Indians for refusing to dry and cover her wet feet and moccasins whenever she hopped out of the waterfall for a midnight skinny dip and for playing the ultimate Indian giver on Halloween, who used to give away blue cheeses to little Indians trick-or-treating to inject their buffalo burgers with far greater, funkier, less gamey heft, <laughs> only to demand they give her mini wheels of blue cheeses back if they didn't tickle her feet with their headdress feathers in return, while lying about being a half-breed Indian calling herself Ticklefoot with Feathers. The moral of the story is don't be an Indian giver or you'll be cursed with ugly feet, which will turn you into a cold wino witch queen, scaring away any potential suitor from ever trying to soften your bitter, angry, nasty heart again. The mustard house is for sale. Bon Jovi lives. Holla! Thank you very much! <laughs> Once upon a time, in 1903, there was a stay-at-home dad, Bukowski Kornbluth, who lived in the derided mustard house in the hamlet of Croton Falls, New York, 40 miles north of the original Yankee Stadium, known as Hilltop Park in Washington Heights, before it became a cocaine pickup haven for suburban kids in the 80s throughout Westchester County, who required more stimulation than what the leafy suburbs and colonial house-populated streets had to offer, knowing the only thing getting blown on a regular basis around those parts were leaves. Every day, Bukowski Kornbluth would stare at his newborn son, Arthur, and bemoan, I can't believe Hasbro rejected my game Condiment Land over Candyland. Those anti-Semitic bastards. Prior, Bukowski Kornbluth worked as a shoeshine boy outside of Grand Central, making enough to live off Hebrew national dogs, but that was it. Now, he was developing a stomach ulcer at the ripe old age of 25 years old and was married to an Irish nurse, Chloe Duffy, who he got pregnant by a mistake because pulling out on time was physically impossible knowing Bukowski Kornbluth blew his load in 1.1 seconds flat. <laughs> After Chloe Duffy's prominent fireman lieutenant dad died, she inherited some money and made a down payment on the Mustard House while using her collection of rare Irish whiskeys her father collected, tracing all the way back to Rob Roy Times for collateral because Bukowski Kornbluth was still so broke, his Hebrew name was under judicial review. Even during his shoe-shining days, Bukowski had dreams of becoming a professional 
songwriter because growing up in a cramped tenement on the Lower East Side with nine other siblings, it was the radio which filled him with dreamy, big city success wonder, which made going to sleep still hungry, again, a tad more tolerable, knowing his dad's career as a pickle sales rep for Kosha Dill Delights wasn't getting them a townhouse on Park Avenue anytime soon either. Now, more than anything, Bukowski Kornbluth wanted to write a better song than the beer that made Milwaukee famous to take him out of his mustard house jail so he could finally enjoy some bright lights, big city success for himself. But one day, things changed. When Bukowski had the radio on at home to hear the Yankees play, after he started throwing cracker jocks at his newborn son, Arthur, because he was hungover from drinking too many Rob Roy's alone because his nurse wife worked nights, and he was stuck at home with his son again on Shabbat with nowhere else to go but down self-pity lane, which was getting tiresome and beyond boring played out at this point in his life. Growing up in the Lower East Side, Bukowski Kornbluth was a solid stickball hitter, earning the nickname Yard Blaster which certainly beat the nickname his putz-prone younger brother earned on those same streets, which was Trips on Curbs. What if, instead of writing songs about his ex-loves and depleted dreams, Bukowski Kornbluth could refocus his attention on baseball and dreams of being a big shot at the ball game for a much cheerier, less depressingly dreary change of pace? Bukowski Kornbluth continues to pelt his son with more Cracker Jacks, yelling, Duck! Cracker Jack! Attack! Then, an idea emerged, and Bukowski Kornbluth says, I finally got it this time, kid. I'll write a song about going to the ball game For anything, except for more fucking hot dogs, to remind me of this damn mustard house, my chest, <laughs> But what if the object of universal interest I focus my song on is Cracker Jacks? Old Bet, the famous circus elephant, was buried in Summers outside of the famed Elephant Hotel in nearby Summers, New York. So I'll write about grabbing some peanuts at the ball game in his honor, too. There's no reason why I can't write a hit song about America's favorite pastime and picking out the ball game. It's a home run, kid. Where can I find a pencil? Arthur, give me those crayons if you haven't eaten them up already. Despite me being perpetually miserable about being an unemployed stay-at-home dad in the sticks, it doesn't mean I love you any less, Arthur. But stay-at-home dads can't survive unless they got something grander to aim for in life. Besides being a loving, proud dad, and this is my last shot to hit one out of the park, kid. Never stop swinging hard for the fences, Arthur. You're an all-American slugger like daddy. I could feel it in you. Just by the way... You made me partially deaf from smacking me in the ear with your rattle ones. Bukowski Kornbluth wrote, Take me out to the ball game. As his son Arthur finally got to sleep in a pool of his own Cracker Jack vomit. One year later, Bukowski Kornbluth got introduced at Yankee Stadium, then known as Hilltop Stadium, and waved his Yankee hat to all of the adoring fans in attendance, raining down hollering praise for the man wrote the official father-son bonding anthem for baseball games throughout America. Now his son Arthur pulls on his dad's leg as the cheers grow even more vociferous for the do-it-all dad done good and says, 
Daddy, I got a Honus Wagner rookie card. Bukowski Cornblue says, Stop ruining the moment, kid. They just sell you the cards for free gum. Arthur says, I think it will be worth something someday, Dad. Also, can you remind me why I can't stomach the idea of eating another Cracker Jacks ever again? Neil Simon strikes again. Holla! Filthy Crystal 2. Thank you very much. Fancy fingers. Once upon a time, there was a famous jazz pianist known as Junkie D. Pianist, who suffered from imposter syndrome. He played with all the biggies of his day in the 1950s and was on the cover of Time magazine once. One last time more than Duke Ellington, jazz critics sucked off his classical pianist training background. Your junkie, the pianist, failed to feel good about his artistic heft after a depressingly dreary vision on extra strength heroin one night. Home alone in his queen's apartment in far Rockaway Beach, which would have forced Miles Davis to face the audience for a change and stare down the motherfucker who dared to throw his jazz record masterpiece kind of blew out of the window too. Junkie the pianist hunches over a pile of his own brown tar puke, takes off his glasses and rubs his eyes again to make sure what horrific vision he saw on what was most likely pure, real-deal heroin was actually true. Yes, it was. In the vision on mind-melding H, a so-called stay-at-home comedian podcast host in 2021, was filming a video on a strange mini-tablet device of his son tossing Junkie the Pianist prize jazz album, Heroin Hell, out the window into the frigid February snow with absolute relish glee to be finally rid of such horrible trash forever. On the video, Junkie the Pianist recoils from repeat visions of the kid throwing out his horrible jazz record out the window hoping it would break on a tree after the little one admitted to liking jazz prior, which made him more putrid sick in his stomach than ever before. Now, Junkie the Pianist wallows in the lowest form of self-pity, looks up to his leaky, decrepit, light, flickering ceiling, and asks God in the most dejected, harrowing way, how can you like some jazz but not my jazz piano masterpiece, heroin hell. <laughs> the junkie pianist drones on, adding, who cares if I'm a white boy in glasses who looks like he should be a furniture salesman from Fort Lee, New Jersey. And how dare this so-called stay-at-home comedian proclaim best 20 bucks I ever spent after his carefree son flings my jazz masterpiece into the yard as if it was another frenetic Herbie Hancock handjob record, knowing the jazz critic at the Village Voice called my jazz piano masterpiece, heroin hell, melancholy, magic. Junkie the pianist hears a loud thump on the door. Landlord screams, rent is due, junkie. How can you be in the cover of Time Magazine but not afford your rent in a rent-controlled apartment, motherfucker? I've seen those fancy cats you roll with like Miles Davis. Well, guess what? You're not Miles Davis, so you don't, you're in no position to turn your back on me, motherfucker. Look, 
Frank Sinatra is doing okay, singing songs from the great American songbook. So instead of composing more piano jerk-off music for jazz critics who still live with their mothers in the East Village, why don't you compose some fruitcake Fagala songs you can sell to Broadway like Cole Porter or those fancy schmancy Gershwin brothers for a change. At least they dress nice and look the part. You look like a junky furniture salesman from Fort Lee, New Jersey. But hey, you wear glasses and play at all the hip jazz joints downtown. So I'm positive you've got some brain cells left to use more wisely. Junkie. The pianist pukes out all along this time. Landlord leans his ear closer to the door this time and bemoans, fight or flight junkie. What will your destiny be? I get it. You're most likely a closeted homosexual. I have heard you cry yourself to sleep singing The Man I Love whenever Ella Fitzgerald is on the radio again. So you can't hold hands with your imaginary lover throughout McDougal Street after a show with the Village Vanguard. whoop de freaking do I'm positive you get plenty of privacy at the plaza with Cole Porter or get some sin-on-sin loving behind any old dumpster behind any old Broadway theater dressing room too. Innovate or die a broke, boring, junky fancy fingers. I don't know why I waste my breath. Junky, the pianist, musters the strength to crawl over to his piano with no other furniture around, collapses on the dusty hardwood floor and dies of a heart attack to avoid heroin hell one second longer on the spot. His landlord paid for his casket and the remainder of his funeral expenses. Months later, Miles Davis visits his gravesite in Rockaway, Queens and places a rock on his Jewish tombstone and says, Jazz Rock is the new groove now, junkie. Sorry for turning my back on you. When that junk started to ruin your fancy fingers at an accelerated rate, where you couldn't tell if you were playing meditative jazz or elevator music on really slow acid that takes forever to kick in. Regardless, your sound helped mold my best-selling masterpieces, Conda Blue, having trained on the record with me, in charge as the band leader to rein in his self-indulgent stroke sessions didn't hurt the overall marketability of the record to make it more digestible for uptight white boy devil lawyers at Columbia Records to digest either. You played in a gorgeous, hair, tingly way on my birthday during a jam sessions on Milestones, which I'll never forget. Sorry about cutting out your work on that track. I couldn't have a furniture salesman from Fort Lee, New Jersey, outshine me on my own shit, junkie. Miles reaches into his camel skin coat pocket to grab junkies, abnormally thick black glasses, and places them on his tombstone and says, I got these from your landlord. After I learned you pass, junkie, I can't believe I was listed as your only emergency contact when I was still on the junk, too. Your landlord told me to innovate or die. Then I recorded 
sketches of Spain during my drying out period, representing my new lease on life, Junkie. And I'll always have your Junkie ass to thank, but boy, could you play. And I am fucking jazz. And Miles knows best. Even your homo ass all the way down in heroin hell can see that.